guys are beautifully synced on that. That's wonderful. Makes my heart so happy. Well, you know, 50 episodes in, you try to learn some timing here and there. <laughs> 50 episodes. Can you believe that they let us do this for 50 episodes, Dan? Who are and they? By they, I mean anybody. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm just surprised it's still happening. Those yeah, corporate we, suits. Yeah. And yeah. we've had like a willing participants like your your brother Joel here that's like, <laughs> I will do this again, actually. <laughs> yeah. That's right. I'm, I'm honored our, to be back for the 50th episode. That's right. You're our first repeat guest. And really? Okay. I thought it would be a, a fun way to celebrate episode number 50 is to, to have a to have someone come back and that person is you Word. so welcome nice yeah yeah man so, so. how you been <laughs> uh, last time we talked we were like a month into the pandemic That's sort so of crazy i know feeling feeling the weight of that and now we're a full year in it honestly doesn't feel like a year right like no. every time mm. i see the date like see march i think that it's a mistake like if I'm like in the DVR and I'm like looking for, you know, an episode of something, it's like March 17th. I'm like, oh, what? Why'd they play a rerun from last year? And I'm like, right. oh, wait, oh, shit. No, it's March now. Like what? It's totally. it's insane. Yeah. Everybody's everybody's sense of time is completely screwed up right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. I feel like I had a full surrender moment this past fall of just being like, okay, so I mean, we're this deep into the pandemic. It's clearly not going anywhere. Um, I guess yeah. it's time to just stop thinking about when it's going to end because it's going to be yeah. a long time. Yeah, for sure. But, like, yeah, uh, you know, our my parents, our parents, Andrew and I's parents were supposed to come out uh, to Virginia for Thanksgiving. Um, and when we first like planned it, it seemed like, yeah, this is definitely going to happen because it was, I think, yep. August or something when we initially talked about it. And then when it got like a month out, and we realized like, oh no, this actually cannot happen. That yeah, was like, yeah, that was like the real big blow for me where I was like, God damn it. I've been so good <laughs> this entire right. time. And I was going to be rewarded with a right. visit from my parents. And then it just, yeah. it couldn't happen. Yeah, for sure. No, for Instead, sure. you've just been filling your life and your, your house with new records. Eh? <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I feel like Joel. You're like the only person I know that buys more records than I do. I think at the rate that you seem to. Dude, yeah. I mean, I I did. I had a, a fair amount before I started collecting again. But yeah, no, I definitely uh, need to slow down <laughs> just a little bit. Um, it's hard. Yeah, it's really yeah. hard, especially when like so many. Uh, there's just so many good new bands now. Yeah. Um, which I kind of like look back at myself in like 2000, like 2005 to 2012, really. And I'm like, what were you thinking? Like you thought there was no good music anymore and you yeah. were still listening to like, you know, stuff that was coming that came out in the nineties, which is great. Still. I love, I love all that stuff too, but, um, there was so much good music coming out. Then. <laughs> so now yeah. I'm like kind of catching up again to some of that stuff. Um, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, no, it's, uh, I think I like five records came in the mail today. Hell yeah. So, you know, yeah, I mean, I think like a lot of things, the internet has really sped up the ability to like connect with very specific niche communities. Like yeah. all of those niche communities were out there before because of the internet, they just weren't as easy to find or stumble upon. And now it's like, 
Dude, whatever you're into, it's probably front and center somewhere on Instagram or whatever. Like the right. communities and, are there, and not not only the communities, but like the bands themselves are so much more accessible. Like, yeah. I, I remember in like 2000, 2001, like daydreaming about like going to like a saves the day show and like getting to meet them and like maybe they would need a place to stay and they come back to my house and you know yeah. like a 19 year old kid like just like daydreaming about that and now it's like i mean you can just hit up chris conley on on instagram and and he'll right. talk to you like i i get bands messaging me all the time i mean just to say like hey thanks for listening to our yeah, music you posted their stuff right or but it like it's just yeah it's really cool um, you know, there's like a, uh, this record label iodine recordings that, um, uh, they were famous for releasing brand news first album okay. and they just relaunched like yesterday. Um, but like in the last few months leading up to it, like the guy, Casey iodine, who runs the record label has been like messaging me, like asking me for like opinions on stuff and like. That's you know, um, like, what do you think about this? And what, you know, and I'm sure he's asking a lot of people that, but it's, yeah, right. it's also kind of a trip. Cause it's like, whoa, I, I just have like an Instagram account for my vinyl. That is right. like, that's kind that in and of itself is kind of like a weird thing to like be showing off your records. Dude, like that's all that's on my account. I thought when you started that account, I was like, huh, interesting. Like, that's cool. I figured, you know, whatever, you're just kind of doing it for you. But then like, there's like. I feel like anytime you post something, now you have like almost a thousand followers yeah. and you have all of these other vinyl so collection accounts that are like, oh yeah, dude, I fucking love that record. And like, they're like yeah. commenting on all your yeah, stuff dude. and I'm, probably sending you messages. Yeah, there's a whole Instagram vinyl community. It's, yeah. it's yeah. crazy. Um, also, yeah. like you have become even this resource for me finding new music, dude. Like I, I check out so much of the stuff that you post that I don't yeah, know. Same. Like I had that Somerset thrower band yeah. on my podcast because, yeah, that's rad. because you posted that record and Oh man, like, those guys are so that good. That is very cool. Yeah. But also, I don't know. I think it's easy to get for people to get caught up in that trap of getting into that mode of like, Oh, there's no new music coming out oh, yeah. for me. Absolutely. And like you see that happen to most people, I feel like. And it's just like, ah, oh, you're just sure. like not, I don't think you're looking anymore because there's probably so much music out there that you would still yeah. enjoy if you. Well, totally. it's just a matter of where do you look? Like I am one of those people, but, um, <laughs> but then things, you know, things come across, you know, like it's, I don't know where to go, but like your, you know, your vinyl Instagram account is like a great resource to try to discover sure. new music. And Dan is like great for that as well. But you guys are like good curators. If I was just on my own, I would be like, fuck, I don't know, like poke around <laughs> yeah. the internet a little bit, yeah. but like, I'm just going in blind. So, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's interesting. Like as I've like done this kind of like really gotten into it more, like since the end of the summer last year, like it's been uh, I mean, just like for myself, like sort of different facets and aspects of like what is happening right now, like in this music scene, like punk broadly speaking, but also like emo and and that like just the trends and like the, you know, there was like a revival that started like 10 years ago of, of emo stuff that was yeah. mirroring stuff that was made in like the 1990s, like kind of math rocky, um, you know, screamy stuff. And 
Now that's evolved into like a more like pop punk sound that I actually really don't like. <laughs> Where it's yeah. like a lot of twinkly, mathy, like crazy guitar, but like a pop punk like sound and like a band like uh, Hot Mulligan or, you know, something like that. Uh, and I'm just like, oh, I don't like this. <laughs> I don't like this <laughs> development. Like I just, yeah, there's some pop punk that I like, but um, yeah, I feel well, now you I, just got to wait for it to develop, to graduate from pop punk right. to the next. Well, yeah, yeah I mean, that's, that's what it feels like. It feels like the early 2000s again, where you had like Fallout Boy and My Chemical Romance, like kind of coming into the scene. And for someone who's my age, like ruining it, <laughs> you know, I'm like there are lots of there are lots of kids, you know, 10 years younger than me or whatever, who think that those bands are like the epitome of the scene yeah, at that right. time or whatever. And now it's like kind of happening again where there's like these bands that are like too, too poppy for me. And they're kind of yeah. ruining this thing that was really cool. But now there's I mean, there's bands like Somerset Thrower, which are doing, you know, I feel like they're doing something totally different than that. That's or, awesome. Yeah. You know, and that that camp trash that you posted oh, yeah. recently, like I think that's a really really cool. Record, oh yeah, so but, good. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I I just didn't. When when the pop punk started becoming like mainstream with like the Fallout Boys that you're mm -hmm. talking about, I think I at first pushed against it pretty hard. Um, there was some that I dug, like I was always like a big Jimmy World fan. Sure, I felt like oh, the yeah. Fallout Boys stuff was maybe in a different little bit yeah, different realm bit, but like yeah. i've come around to appreciate some of that stuff that i like overlooked or thought was like mm -hmm. not fucking cool or whatever because i think mm -hmm. i think i was like raised around some like grittier punk too and was appreciating sure. yeah. like dead kennedys and shit and i was yeah, just like yeah, yeah. yo this isn't fucking punk rock like this is stupid or right. whatever and now i'm just like wait guys blink 182 might be one of my favorite bands or something you know? yeah <laughs> yeah for sure and the thing is is that like you know i'm i'm from from working on this this book that will i assume we'll talk about yeah absolutely <laughs> eventually i joined like all these music facebook like communities and stuff like that and one of the ones that i'm in is like this huge like 90s hardcore punk emo uh like discussion group where people just like are like hey remember this band weren't they fucking awesome um and every once in a while someone will post like saves the day or the get up kids or something yeah and all these fucking old heads will jump on there and be like fuck this band this saves the day is just like lifetime light and like this is shit and all this stuff and it, it like makes me realize that like, okay, you know, I, I, I may kind of like think less of someone who says that My Chemical Romance is their favorite band, but like here are these dudes who think that I'm a fucking poser because right. I really like Saves the Day. Yeah, and dude. It's just everybody like- Everybody thinks everybody's yeah. a poser. <laughs> right, and yeah, likes, exactly. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's funny. But I guess my point with, with that was that I didn't foresee the impact that pop punk would have mm. on the future of music. I did not think that that was going to maybe even going to be a genre that withheld this, like the test of time. And now there's yeah. so many of those bands that I do pay attention to, like even sure. like, un, like a more recent band, like knuckle puck or, yeah. you know, or, mm -hmm. you know, things, things in that Neck deep yeah. realm mm -hmm. of things. And yeah, yeah. It's, it's just interesting to see, it hold up so well and then also for it to be for some for a lot of kids 
within this age range, like emo music is their classic rock in some ways. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. it's the sound. It's like the soundtrack to their fucking high school and everything, and and their junior right. high, and it's their li- like their life. And it's like, you know, there's even emo night thrown in, in right, cities course, all yeah. around the country where kids just go sing along to these fucking songs. And then maybe one person comes out and sings a couple songs that's notable, you know? Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> it's fucking weird. Yeah, such a trip. So yeah, speaking of music, tell us about this all this research that you've been doing for this book. What's the set the stage first? Like give us the the general premise of of sure. what you're trying to uncover. Yeah, well, I mean, I'll just kind of say like I guess sort of how it, it initially came about. Um so I can't remember how much I like talked about like what my air, area of expertise is and you know what I did my PhD on last time, but like my I went to school and studied like early 20th century, like German philosophy, essentially. Right. And so, um, a book on like contemporary, essentially contemporary American religion, which is like kind of the broadest, I guess, category you could put this under was like, not what I did at all. Um, but you know, one, one day last spring sometime, um, we, (laughs) My, my wife and I decided to show our daughter uh, the OC Supertones, okay, which mm-hmm. is like, you know, for those who don't know, uh, kind of an older uh, Christian ska band. Um, and, uh, and, you know, a band that like when my wife and I were both like 13, 14, really liked. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, we're playing their first album on, you know, Spotify or whatever. And, uh, I was just kind of like, I hadn't listened to it for, I mean, maybe 15 years, possibly even like 20 years. I don't know. It'd been a really long time. Um, and, uh, the lyrics were just like hitting me like in a different way, like in, in the, you know, in the way that they would an academic who studies religion, right. Which the last time I heard it, I, I wasn't that. And so I'm like, it's like I'm hearing it for the first time and I'm like really thinking about it. Like, wow, these, you know, this is kind of interesting to me that, you know, what they're singing about and that it's like in this style. And then I kind of started thinking about other, you know, Christian punk bands like, you know, MXPX, which has not been a Christian band for a really long time now, but were originally Uh, slick shoes and, you know, all these bands and kind of went back and started listening to them again and, and thinking about the lyrics and, yeah, just realize that like there there's something here that I I, I don't know if anybody has written about this yeah. like from an academic perspective. Well, and so So broadly speaking, how do you feel like I mean, were the lyrics hitting you in a way where you're like, Oh, this is interesting, they're actually talking about some relatively deep topics or you were like this is interesting they have a somewhat problematic and yeah weird, like super evangelical view of christianity so in the beginning there were i mean it was a couple different threads one like the mxpx records like teenage politics kind of struck me as like oh i didn't realize like how anti-authoritarian this is like for right. an evangelical christian band like it's oddly like very explicitly anti-authority like you can't tell me what to do like you you know your understanding of christianity is bullshit and you know yeah um i mean there's a song that literally says legalistic people suck legalism makes me sick 
Um, and then he's talking about like having, uh, you know, an, uh, kind of kind of like in an abstract way, but having an authentic like relationship with Jesus or something like that. Jesus knows me and, and you know, but you don't care about that. So it's like very much against like the kind of like traditionalist, like old people in the church, like telling you what to do kind of thing, yeah. which I thought was interesting. And then, you know, with with Slick Shoes, um, I realized for the first time that on their first full length record, there's an anti-abortion song. And I had not realized that that's what this song was about when I first when I listened to it when I was a kid, like I had no idea. Um, but there's one track on Rusty that is like trying to copy like a band like Seven Seconds or something like that. It's like more mm -hmm. in a, a kind of like late 80s, early 90s, like hardcore style. Yeah, um, yeah. And it's all about abortion <laughs> and like condemning abortion, which. And so then that struck me as kind of nuts because it was like, OK, that's intense. There's there's here's this like predominantly like leftist artistic form in in punk yeah. and hardcore punk especially like yes mm -hmm. there are nazi punks and and stuff like that but for the most part it was it's it's leftist um and and they're taking that angst that anger and they're directing it toward abortion and it's it is a anti-government song like it's focused on the government um like you know, the, I think the song is literally called By What Right, right? And they're talking, he's singing or screaming at the government, like, by what right do you do all these things? But it's by what right do you, like, take a child's life, essentially, is what is what he's saying. So it's, like, anti-government, but in this, like, pro-life <laughs> pro way, which yeah. is really, which was a huge trip to me. So I then I was just like, okay, like, how... How do we make sense of this? Like, there's this sense in which there's, uh, like I just said, this left wing like aesthetic um, that is aggressive, that is about like youth rebellion, essentially being mm -hmm. appropriated for not just singing about like, um, you know, oh my relationship with with Jesus or something like that, but actually right. songs that are like political and and that i mean that's not the only example there are actually uh pro at least a dozen um that i can think of that are anti-abortion this one will blow your mind andrew uh the juliana theories track for evangeline on their first uh their first record oh, is an anti-abortion song you gotta go back what? yeah <laughs> that's crazy go go back and listen to it it's super abstract Damn. but it's yeah. but brett detar is singing from the perspective of an aborted like fetus it's really Weird. really fucked up honestly i mean it's it's wild and it's it's interesting i wonder how many of these you know we're seeing this huge um movement right now that you know from stemming from this I, this concept of deconstruction. Mm -hmm. And there's been this term that's been kind of coined like ex-evangelical. I don't mm -hmm. know if you've heard yep. of that. Oh, yeah. But part of the, part of the like sort of public eye or at least um, stuff that I've noticed, it's like a lot of notable musicians from Christian bands coming out and being like, yeah, I'm not a Christian anymore. Right, yeah. yeah. Um, but still like, you know, they're part of this deconstruction um, community that's not – 
I, mean, I feel like that community has everything from folks like me who are where it's like, I'm still like spiritual and seeking and looking for some understanding of God, but uh, I'm still interested in what Jesus taught. I'm just not interested in being part of the church, mm-hmm. ranging from that all the way to like, I'm a full blown atheist New now. I used to be a pastor. Like, yeah, right. Yeah. And um, yeah, this is a total aside, but there's this one guy who. Uh, I followed his Instagram for a little bit and uh, I won't put him on blast by naming him, but (laughs) he's this ex pastor who like went full atheist and just like, I mean, he basically, he put out a whole series about how he was like historical. Jesus was mentally ill. And like, here's all my evidence. And I was just like, dude, why are you going so hard on this? Like, I don't know. It just seems a little strange to me. Like yeah. you have all this shit to prove now. Cause you feel like you wasted time in the church. But my point is, is that like, yeah, there's all these ex musicians coming out as not Christian. I'd be curious to know, like with of these bands that you're looking at sort of where people fall. I mean, Dustin Kendrew is another example of someone mm-hmm. who's like, I think he's a little, he's way less fundamentalist than he used to be. I don't know oh, if he still sure. considers himself a Christian. He, he does, but he does, but, Brett Tatar, like, I remember when I was in college, like, he started re- releasing solo stuff. He released a solo song called Cocaine, Whiskey, Heroin. It was, like, him on a banjo, and it started off with this, like, three-part harmony that's, like, cocaine, whiskey, heroin. And I was, like, this guy, what is happening right now? So I don't think that guy's a Christian Just anymore. I don't real, know. real quick, as an aside, have you have you seen that Juliana Theory has signed Equal Vision and they have re-released an album of like reimagined versions of some of their older tracks from their first two records. Huh, and they just released uh, the their redone version of We're on Top of the World. No, and it's like, they didn't. Dude, it's like a black metal like track. What? Yes. Is it, it's insane. is it cool? Uh, it's. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll check it out. I'll it's check okay. it out. I mean, it's it's crazy. It's just crazy. Yeah, it's on YouTube. Like, I think it just came out today or yesterday or something like that. Okay. But yeah. No, they've been like uh, redoing. Yeah, and and they're new. For those who don't know, that song starts off with hand claps. Yeah, it's super cheesy. We're on the cheesy. top of the world. Right. Yeah. You and that, like, yeah, it's super cheesy, poppy, like. Yeah. It was in a it was in a like made for Disney movie about mo- about motocross I think I remember hearing it as a kid it's that level of cheesy that yeah, like yeah, yeah. a oh, Disney yeah. movie that wasn't released in theaters was right. like oh yeah this is the right level of cheese for our motocross yeah, movie yeah. aimed at ten year olds yeah so yeah yeah um so I've interviewed at least a dozen uh, people who were former. Uh, former or current Christian artists or, or, or were involved in the Christian scene in some way and are still making music, but maybe not in that context anymore. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, I mean, it's been pretty wide ranging. I think that the common sort of through line is this sense of authenticity that they sort of see themselves participating in, which is actually kind of has become now the central theme of the book. And I can talk about that more in a, in a you know, a little bit later or something, but, um, you know, you, you have people like, uh, like Mark Solomon, who is, was the front man of like one of the earliest, uh, Christian hardcore, like actual hardcore punk bands, like not metalcore, but like hardcore punk called the crucified. Um, and then became, uh, started a band called Stavesaker, which is more of like a alternative rock kind of, Mm-hmm. thing but still in the christian scene 
so he and I talked for like two hours and he was, man, he was great. Uh, just a really cerebral, like thoughty dude. Um, mm -hmm. and, uh, but like, you know, grew up, he grew up in Fresno, California. Um, his parents were like former, like bikers, like had been in a biker gang and then converted to evangelical Christianity. And usually when that happens, people make like a complete 180 swing yep. where they go from like being super druggy and like whatever to being ultra conservative, like borderline yeah. fundamentalist. Jesus, Jesus yeah. saved my life. I'm a born again Christian. Right. And like, but and like we're going to follow all the rules and we're not right. going to, you know, right. um, so yeah. so uh, and, and he now he still considers himself a Christian, but he's also a socialist. Um you know, and like really is jaded about the Christian music industry has been for a long time. He wrote a, uh, an autobiography in like 2005 where he like was calling out the Christian music industry um, for being hypocritical and, and so on and so forth. Um, but like the way that he talked was like still very rooted in kind of evangelical speak, which is kind of hard to explain. Like if you didn't grow up in it, you know, um, but he was, you know, he talked a lot about like, uh, like finding his community and like, yeah. you know, being, people that being I can do life with. Yes. Yes. Like that kind of stuff. Yeah, exactly. And so that kind of struck me as like, huh, interesting. Like he hasn't been part of evangelicalism for like almost 20 years now, but that's still, it's so ingrained in him. Um, yeah. and you know, I did talk to some people like, uh, Aaron Sprinkle is a really well-known like producer, um, and musician, he's he's done music of his own too. But he produced like the first three Anne Berlin records, um, uh, Acceptances' first EP, um, mm -hmm. the first Gatsby's American Dream record, like a ton of stuff that was both in the Christian world and not. Yeah, um, and That's he like the he, interesting time It's just like how many of those bands were bands that had mainstream followings? Like, <laughs> yeah, <how> many, like <laughs> all these non secular kids that like fucking love under oath yeah like, under oath would be know? the biggest it, one for sure yeah and it's <laughs> what's crazy is that like un, yeah under oath i mean i guess like people don't really pay attention to like lyrics that much which i mean when when it's screaming like you can yeah. kind of understand you know when, you know spencer chamberlain's <laughs> screaming or whatever right, you yeah. can't understand what he's saying but like uh the the song uh a boy brush brush red, red living in black and yeah. white off off their most popular album Right, they're yeah. only chasing safety is like a super misogynistic, like, uh, like slut shaming song. Like, right, right. it's about like shaming a girl like for like having premarital sex or something like that. Yeah, right. right. Being and so there's yeah, there's just like a ton, uh, a ton of stuff like that out there, sort of in the in the universe of of um, this kind of Christian music. But yeah. so I think that you know, one of the, um, so yeah, so to back to Andrew's question, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of, um, uh, just a really wide range because it, so Aaron Sprinkle is no longer a Christian, but his brother, Jesse Sprinkle, who was in the, who's the drummer for dead poetic and, um, you know, a bunch of, was in a ton of other bands, um, is a Christian and is actually quite conservative, like in his political views and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I interviewed him kind of toward the start of the pandemic and uh, I made some like kind of offhand comment to him about like quarantining or wearing a mask or something. 
And when he, like in, in my email to him, like setting things up. And when he came on, like the very first thing he said to me was like, man, if we weren't talking about this, you and I would have some things to discuss about mask wearing <laughs> or something like that. And I was like, oh, God, no, no, <laughs> this is okay. okay. Um, yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, so the, the musicians are, are really all over the place. Um, I think that the, you know, the people who listen to the music to a certain extent are all over the place too. Um, but it's, it really is this idea of like, being an authentic Christian and like being the music being sort of a reflection of that. I think that kind of ties everyone together in some way. Yeah. I guess it's just this notion of like people's idea of what it means to be an authentic Christian probably differs quite a bit, even just within that small community. Well, I mean, what's interesting is that like the form of it doesn't really differ. It's the content that differs. What I mean by that is that like, pretty much everyone would say like, well, what it means to be an authentic Christian is just to like, just follow Jesus. Like, right. I just want to pursue a relationship with Jesus. Yeah. And as long as I'm doing that, I'm an authentic Christian. Well, like that doesn't have any like prescriptive content. Like that doesn't tell you what to do. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and so right. how people understand that is, uh, you know, wildly different. Um, and I mean, that's kind of one of the things that I am like focusing on in the book is that one of the ways that this authenticity kind of manifests is that Christians who were into this scene kind of saw themselves as like being a, like affronted on two sides. Like on the one hand, they had the the regular, the secular punk scene who looked at the Christians and were like, fuck this, this isn't punk. Like you guys are doing some other shit, but it's not punk. Um, mm -hmm. And then on the other side, they had the conservative church people and the, the world of contemporary Christian music of CCM that's like producing your like DC talk and audio adrenaline and that kind of thing, um, rejecting them as well at first, right? Like looking at them and saying, oh, this isn't Christian, like punk. How could you be a punk band and also be Christian? Yeah. Right? And so rather than like look at that as like some kind of sign like oh i guess maybe we have to choose like either we have to be christian or we just abandon christianity and and like do a punk thing um they they just kind of forged ahead and so those two criticisms on either side kind of became like a mark that, of authenticity like i know i'm doing christianity or i know i'm i'm living into my identity in the most authentic way because look, both sides hate me, right? So that's mm, how I know yeah. that like, I'm ignoring, I'm not just following the crowd. I'm just, I'm yeah. being me. I'm being an, an authentic individual. Where there is, where there is persecution, there is like some form of like, um, highest truth or something. It's yeah. Well, I mean, it go, I mean, you know, to, to, to bring it a little philosophical here for, for a minute, uh, you know, Jean-Jacques Rousseau in the 18th century, wrote about, you know, who's a, like a political philosopher and everything, but he wrote about the concept of, of authenticity and authentic identity. And for him, the core of authentic identity was shamelessness, right? The ability to endure the shame that is going to be heaped upon you for being your true self. And if you encounter, like the encountering of shame is what tells you that you are being your true self. Like when people huh. turn their nose up at you, that's like the indicator that you're just, you're being real. You're being true to yourself. You don't care what other people think. Right. So he wrote a lot about like 
his, his masturbating and like all kinds of like stuff that he would say like this is my how i'm going to present myself publicly and the shame that i will endure from that is going to tell me that i'm being my most authentic self and i think that the same thing is true i mean not just for christians in this music scene i, I think evangelical christianity in general has this kind of double notion of shame like there's the shame of sin right and a real like reveling in the shame of of sin and like yeah, repentance our, and this cycle constant yeah this constant yeah. cycle but then there's also a reveling in the shame that the world tries to heap on to christians like the the world in air quotes right so the fact that uh you know that they get criticized as being racist or misogynistic or whatever I mean, that's like, that's just fuel to the fire for them. Like th that doesn't right. cause any kind of like moment of self-reflection where they're like, oh, maybe I am racist. Maybe I should think right. about this, right? It's, uh, it, it's caused to, to double down essentially. And so, yeah. Huh. And then also like that philosophy is interesting, like Q, the intersection of LGBTQ identity within evangelicalism and all these people waking up to the idea of like, Oh, maybe I shouldn't, maybe I don't need to be ashamed of like who I was born as right. and trying to fix that. Maybe it's, maybe they're the ones who are wrong and I was, and this is totally fine and right. Yeah. And that's a really good, that's a good point that the, that the, the shamelessness aspect of at least Rousseau's understanding of authenticity, I think can be, can be a good thing. Um, I think the way that I'm looking at it and, and sort of what I've encountered through this research is that um, in in this particular music culture, which is predominantly white, predominantly male, and you know predominantly Christian, obviously. What a um, <laughs> it, uh, it instead it it kind of tends to produce in some people a sort of like political like quietism, where they're like, you know oh, you know, both sides are bad and I don't participate in, in this, like I rise above it and I'm like, Jesus is not a Republican or a Democrat. Like, I, and so it leads them to like be critical of something like Black Lives Matter, right? But then they'll say, oh, but I also, I don't like the Oath Keepers or the Proud Boys either, right? I don't like either of them. They're both bad. And it's like, uh, no, dude, like they're not both bad. Only one of those sides is bad. <laughs> And it's like really obvious, um, you know, but, but it's this say it's, it's sort of a, like a reproduction of the same, uh, kind of attitude that they had, like with regard to the music and their choice to like dress a certain way and be part of like hardcore culture, metalcore core culture, be emo at church or whatever. They were the fucking cool kids, man. Yeah. But without yeah. adopting any of the political, uh, right. I guess like weight and activism that would come with that same identity yeah exactly like yeah i don't know like yeah like under oath was like a a cool band to like among <laughs> people yeah. that were not christian like mm -hmm. I knew tons of kids that that loved that band that had no attachment oh to absolutely. any of that and absolutely and, and it was always like man it was it was always a trip seeing them i, I was i was pretty disconnected i think at the point that i would see them live and mm -hmm they would always do the part in the show where they would, they would pray at the end of the show. And 
<laughs> it was just always Aaron really Gillespie. interesting because they, you know, they would like, yeah, they would, you know, they would make references like, hey, it's cool. Like if you're not Christian or whatever, but like everything we do is in the name of Jesus Christ. And it's just mm-hmm. like, yeah. And that's the shit that it, the, those pressures of that seem to like yeah. really destroy their band. And like, mm-hmm. oh, they, totally. they speak to that heavily now, how like the pressures of that and just their judgments upon one another as they were fucking mm-hmm. in this warp tour yep. world yep. as well. And like in rock star world yeah. and, you know, had all of the, the drugs and the, the sex and the, mm-hmm. and the alcohol available and, you know, people, people within the band judging one another about mm-hmm. what they're doing after the yeah. show, after yep. they're telling everybody that they're doing this in the name of Jesus. And it's like, Hey brother, I noticed you've been stumbling a lot recently. <laughs> yeah. Right. Exactly. I want to talk about your walk with God. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I think that that, I mean, the interesting thing about the the musician side of this is that, you know, a lot of these guys, they really did just want to make music like they, they right. not not everybody saw their band as like some kind of ministry, um, yes. you know, and, and in fact, like, I mean, on Tooth and Nail, I mean, it's interesting. I didn't realize that Under Oath did that at the at the end of their shows. I think I only saw them live maybe one time. I mean, they don't do it now, which right, is of course, nice. yeah, uh. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right, yeah. But I mean, you know, the 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 Supertones were the one band on Tooth and Nail that like every single song of theirs was about worshiping God in in some way. Like they didn't have any songs that were like just about girls. Or just about like having fun or something like that, like a lot of ska bands do. Uh, Every single song was was like a worship song, essentially. But outside of that, the yeah, I mean, like on some on some records, you might see like one or two songs that are like very explicitly Christian. But for the most part, when I talk to these guys, like they just wanted to make music, right? They they saw themselves as artists, like who were making what sounded good to them and singing about like what they were concerned with at that point in their life. And if they happen to be a Christian, then that's what they were going to sing about. So there's, there's that kind of aspect of the authenticity angle too, right? Is that they, they really saw themselves as embodying a kind of like artistic authenticity that went in the face of the Christian music industry, which it really did. I mean, yeah. The Christian music industry is so tightly controlled. Um, you know, th- there's even like the worship songs and stuff like have to be like crafted in a certain way. And they really vet the lyrics like very heavily and stuff like that. And the Which people is amazing in- that some of those songs ended up making it through to the canon. Because when you look, look at those lyrics, you're like, huh, this. OK. <laughs> This is a little strange. Wait, which um, which songs? Like the the punk stuff or the CCM no? I mean, stuff? like the oh. like worship. Yeah, Christian worship yeah. music. I mean, looking back on some of that stuff, right. I'm just you know we could talk about it all day. And, and but yeah, there's there's songs where I'm just like either this is so um, this is this song is not saying anything whatsoever, mm-hmm. um, or it's just like. The imagery used in the song is just like kind of when you really break it down, it's sort of deeply troubling. And you're like, and at the same time, you feel like it's not really saying anything that matters. And then and then there's this other element, too, where it's like they really dig deep into the shame and the brokenness and like how unworthy we are as people, which I feel like is something that I have, you know, that I'm still undoing in myself mm-hmm. to this day. And I look at the uh, the music that I write 
and have written in my own career. And like, I look at the shit that I wrote in high school and it was all about that. It was all yeah. about how, you know, I am, uh, yeah, a shameful sinner and I'm lucky to have, you know, the forgiveness of God and the salvation of Jesus. Yeah, for sure. That, I mean, that a lot of that has to do with the fact that just most evangelicals are, are Calvinists, right? Which is a form of Protestantism that is all about like your depravity as, as a human. Um, mm -hmm. that you are totally depraved. There's nothing that is like redeemable, like within yourself that like you yeah. are fully reliant on God. And in like, actually in like a lot of the metalcore stuff, like Norma Jean and, and even, uh, some of the under oath stuff too, you see that like very heavily, right? There's like yeah. a ton of like shame centric, like lyrics that are like really dark, like you know, very like, all, all, you know, about the, the depravity of, of themselves and stuff, which in a weird way, like, uh, did kind of fit with a lot of other like secular metalcore, like lyrically, like not the God stuff necessarily, but like the kind of almost like self, self-hatred and um, just kind of the darkness of, of the lyrics. I think that's honestly why that aspect of, or that, sort of subgenre of the broader underground Christian music scene broke through so thoroughly into the mainstream was because yeah. there are so many people who like didn't even know that Norma Jean was a Christian band, right? right. Or didn't know, right. you know, uh, that, you know, and they went on tour with bands like Killswitch Engage and, and right. stuff like that too. So, yeah. I mean, it's kind of, uh, did you examine any of the Switchfoot stuff? because <laughs> like i feel like that's an interesting yeah interesting band because they are they you know made so many big hits you know, yes. in the mainstream yeah, they were huge and right. also i don't know from what i've from the time i've taken to just kind of like i don't know listen to john foreman speak when mm -hmm. he has or like watch a switchfoot documentary like, like that, that that dude in I don't know about maybe maybe the rest of his bandmates seem like they really like do kind of like live under those core tenets and like are mm -hmm. like followers of Jesus. Like they seem like salt of the earth, like really authentic in their Christianity. And it never I don't know. It's never felt like to me this preachy thing mm -hmm. like he's been trying to proselytize. I saw them one time and it was even recently and it, I didn't even know that we were going to an actual like Christian music show. <laughs> like Lecrae was the other person uh, on yeah. the bill. And like, I had no idea who Lecrae was and he's like, what the biggest Christian rapper mm -hmm. maybe of all time. Yep. And just like a pretty well-known person, I guess. And the whole time though, you know, there's some weird shit that happened that night as far as like someone coming up and trying to make everybody feel like shit that they hadn't been to a third world country to like get clean oh, water yeah. to kids yeah. and and that happened. But the whole time, even within that, you know, that secular kind of setting, John Foreman never said, you know, Jesus straight up or anything or mm -hmm. like we never had this prayer moment or anything. It like, it never seems like a show with that guy. No altar like, call. Yeah. 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 No, it's, it's always, it always has felt like real authentic to me. And I know mm -hmm. like within some of his solo music, he, he does explore, you know, the worship side of things a little bit more, mm -hmm. but yeah, I don't know in the, in this, in the switch foot sense, 
it seemed like they were always able to craft songs and still do now that have had such like a broad appeal yeah and 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 had a lot of mystery i guess maybe that's the the ticket to it like a like Mm. i don't think many many people recognize thrice as some like have heavy like christian influence band like right dustin just seems like he's always been into philosophy and shit (laughs) right yeah so much of that sentiment is like built around his like his background in christianity and they actually they were very close to signing to tooth and nail which would have completely changed how they're perceived um one of the guys i interviewed was bill power who was the a and r director at tooth and nail for like the first 10 years or so of, of the label. Um, and yeah, in the, in like 2001 or so, he was pursuing them hard. He wanted them for tooth and nail and they wanted to be on tooth and nail because I mean, Dustin went to, Dustin went to college with my wife, actually. (laughs) They were both at Biola university at the same time. I think he was like two or three years ahead of her. Um, but Biola university is like a pretty conservative evangelical, school um and uh yeah so they were definitely and and locally they were playing like with a lot of other like christian hardcore bands and whatnot in in southern california um and uh but the the story that that bill told me (laughs) about why they didn't sign was kind of funny because brandon ebel who's the head of the label um really wanted to sign five iron frenzy which was this really goofy ass uh, Christian ska band. Um, (laughs) and, and Bill, Bill was like, no fucking way. Those guys are too goofy. They're goofballs. They're Uh, they're super corny. Uh, We're not signing them. And so the Brandon That's was the like, shit that I listened to when I was in like fourth grade, I was like, this is cool. Yeah. It's like my version of in sync. So oh, the, yeah, and then, yeah. so then, so then Brandon was like, fine, well, we're not signing thrice then. And so that was like kind of the stalemate. It was that like, oh, and so thrice didn't get signed to tooth and nail more or less because Billy didn't want to sign uh, five iron <laughs> frenzy. You know, what's funny about five iron frenzy though, is that like, they are an example of a band in the Christian music scene that had very progressive like politically progressive lyrics kind of across the board like they have songs about like um like indigenous land rights and stuff like in their from like, like the early 2000s from like yeah. 1998 yeah and yeah, they and they they just put out a new album that is like the cover of it is a, like a giant person like holding like a church building and dumping out a bunch of white people <laughs> from it onto the oh, ground man, that's amazing and it's like very yeah. like anti uh you know anti-racist anti-fascist um so yeah, I, and dude. like of course a lot of a lot of the kinds of people that i'm you know talking about in my book were like angry about that because it was too they're like well, we don't support white supremacy but at the same time like yeah. the, anti-fascism, yeah, anti-fascism that's, that's is uh, wrong <laughs> i mean that's the that's the thing that drew me into thrice and and dustin like his lyrics i think still Mm -hmm. stand the test of time he was always like it's it's anti-establishment it's like fucking like acknowledging the greed you know like Mm -hmm. cold cash cold hearts you know different race different god like Mm -hmm. always was digging into that shit and always like i don't know those were the shows where i always saw them trying to raise awareness about like 
kids disappearing and like mm-hmm. you know human trafficking and mm-hmm. you know trying to like really raise awareness for for causes and and yeah. shit that's like very humanity based and whatnot mm-hmm. yeah i don't know where i was going with that but <laughs> it's just uh it's just interesting to just uh yeah just to see who's kind of like evolved that ha- does kind of like come from that that world yeah and i mean the 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 interesting thing too is that like you know andrew you were talking about the exvangelicals um i personally don't like that label really uh because to me a lot of exvangelicals kind of come across as like they've just found like a new version of evangelicalism in a sense Oh, totally. Like, I mean, sort of there they're, are, they're, I find that community fascinating because they are, a lot of them are just substituting one thing for another. A lot of them have gone, you know, and and it's it's funny looking back at this. It's like, I went through this process of deconstruction and whatever, becoming an ex-evangelical, I guess, if you have to put a label on it, before I knew, before there was a, I mean, Instagram didn't exist yet. I'm sure there was a community mm-hmm. out there, but it wasn't easily accessible. I didn't have any resources. I went through my own sort of like ups and downs of like, and now I'm like super new age or now I'm like super Buddhist or now I'm like, and then I find I've land, kind of landed where I am now, but it, it took a few years and I'm watching that happen for all these other people in real time where it's like, yeah, some people that claim to be ex-evangelicals and then it's like, you're over here talking about like mercury and retrograde and shit and how that's affecting your, what, and you're just like, what, what is happening? Like, how did you land here? Right. Yeah. Or there's also, there's just, there's kind of a, um, yeah, there's just, there's like a, the way that people like still like compartmentalize the world in terms of like, um, uh, you know, if they, they come across someone regardless of like their political leanings who seems to them to be like too fundamentalist with how they're like talking about whatever it is then like they kind of like want to reject that and there's so there's like this weird like i mean i i used to see this a lot um like i mean just in the last like five years or so where there's like a lot of hand wringing over x with uh in the evangelical community or the like progressive evangelical community of like um, calling like leftism like a form of like purity culture or something. It's like, wait, why are you using that language? Like, first of all, (laughs) secondly, um, like why, why are you making like anti-racism like about you (laughs) by by yeah. saying like that it makes you feel bad because it's like purity cult. it's just like the weirdest sort of confluence yeah. and tangle of like of these different discourses like coming together you know sure yeah i mean and it's interesting too it's like look anytime there's a group and there's a there's some kind of ideology that they're following like there's going to be members that apply it in a problematic way there's going to be like there's it's there's never a perfect thing um so there's always there's always a way to poke holes in anything regardless of like if the the general ideology is you know clearly for the greater good um but yeah i i i'm very interested in that community mostly just for like just for the observation of sort of like what's happening what's servicing from it interesting things are servicing from it um 
but then also some really deeply weird and confusing things are surfacing from it where I'm just like, I don't know what the fuck this is or who's paying attention to that. Yeah. And then you have, you know, I think you have people like, you know, ex-evangelicals from the South and stuff that were raised in like something that was so much more conservative Mm -hmm. and deeply troubling than what you and I were raised in. Mm -hmm. You know, like some of the stories that I hear from some of these folks I'm just like, oh, yeah, I mean, that wasn't happening at the church that I grew up <laughs> I know, in at yeah. all. Like, yeah. not even fucking close. Yeah. Maybe there were some undercurrents there that, like, if you dug in, you could kind of be like, it's kind, of, it's a little bit fucked up that you haven't, you know, spoken out about this thing or taken a stance on whatever. And definitely problematic that, like, you know, Flatirons, at least, like, they, they never openly accepted gay people. Um, I mean, they would do it in the way where we'd be like, we accept everybody, but then it would be like, but do you accept gay people as they are? Would you marry gay people in the church? And then they'd be like, well, no, we wouldn't do that. So it's like, okay, so you don't accept them then. Your, your, your definition of acceptance is total fucking bullshit. Right. Um, and now it's, and now like a lot of those churches, like, you know, have, have gotten to this point with the rhetoric where it's like. Oh, well, no, we would marry them. But after a long process uh, where, you know, they come mm. to realize their sin and they essentially decide that they're not gay anymore. And then they decide to marry someone of the op- opposite sex. In that case, we them. would marry yeah. them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um, fucked. Yeah. But anyways, it's been interesting to see, like, because of the folks that I think grew up in, like, anything, like you were saying before, it's like, for some of them, the pendulum has just, like, shifted so far the other way because they grew up in something that was so, and also, like, I didn't go, you know, I dedicated a lot of time to the church uh, up until the point I was, like, 20. I didn't go deep into my 20s like some of these folks did, you know, a little bit further into their adulthood, Um, and I think there's, like... There are some gaping open wounds in some of these mm-hmm. people that they and they're all kind of like just hanging out, like licking their wounds together. Yeah. And I'm not sure where maybe it's going to turn into something. But in a lot of instances, I'm like, I'm not sure where this goes for you guys. Yeah. Um, it might just be a whole lot of wound licking and, and not really take you anywhere beyond that. Yeah. And that I mean, and that might end up being OK, like if people need a number of years to kind of like just be on Twitter and, yeah. you know, talk with people. And then eventually they kind of like find themselves like sort of fading out of that. And then they're, you know, they're great. And that, if that's all that happens, then that's, you know, I think that that would be good. But I think that like, um, I mean, Andrew, I think you and I like should need to give a shout out to our parents because honestly, I, I think that they shielded us in a way from a lot of like the really, shitty stuff that happened in evangelical culture even at the mm-hmm. churches that we grew Attended, up in yeah. um mm-hmm. you know and and in a way they like you know i know that you've you know you've had your uh you know debates and conversations with <laughs> with our mom um about things but you know i think overall like they more or less allowed us to kind of just you know, be and figure things out on our own. Um, Even if they didn't always like or understand where it was that we landed, they allowed us that space. And and a lot of these people who come from these ultra conservative, even like fundamentalist 
backgrounds who are now who have found a way out they didn't they didn't have that um there were a lot of people that i talked to uh for the book who um you know this music was their only outlet and they were it was like a breath of fresh air for them because their parents did not let them consume any quote-unquote secular media at all right anything that they wanted it had to be available at the christian bookstore or otherwise they weren't going to have it. Um, so there, are, I mean, I interviewed a ton of people who like, they listened to MXPX before they had even ever heard Green Day, right? And it wasn't till right. like years <laughs> later that they, when they were adults and maybe like were kind of out of this more fundamentalist uh, or ultra conservative environment that they were like, oh, I can, now I can listen to this stuff and, and it's fine. Um, so yeah, there are tons of people that I talked to that like they listened to the Christian music first, right? Because that's what was being sold at the Christian bookstore. Um, and it was like the, that community was a breath of fresh air for them. And honestly, like, sure. you know, saved a lot of them from some really significant, uh, like heartache, you know, through their yeah. teenage years. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're, you're right. right. Mom and dad gave us plenty of space. I never felt like. I, you know, maybe if I had been listening to exclusively gangster rap when I was in sixth grade, they might have been like, hey, let's have a conversation about sure, this. Yeah. <laughs> but other than that, they were never like, what is that band? Like, let me see the let me see the lyric sheet. Like, well, there know, was let me evaluate. I have to say there was one time that our dad uh, when I was in ninth grade, I had uh, the real big fish record turn the radio off. And uh, <laughs> my dad, our, our dad wanted to borrow that from me he borrowed it from me um because he liked the song sell out and and you know our dad likes likes Everybody's a, a nice horn horn filled song yeah, 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 yeah. Um, he but also was he was into a lot of like he got into a lot of the stuff that you were listening to right, right. you know he but, loved something corporate he loved yeah, like some mm -hmm. of these like kind of random bands but, that, but there's know, a anyways. there's a track on that record where i can't remember the name of the track but they sing i don't fucking care like 23 times at the end of the song just like over and over yeah, and over yeah, again. Yeah. And so he he borrowed it for a couple of days and then he brought it back to me and he was like, I don't know how I feel about you having this CD. But then that was the end of it. <laughs> that's all that's all it was. He right. just kind of like <laughs> said out loud, I don't know how I feel about this, and then gave me the CD back. <laughs> right. And that's not even like I don't even think that's a Christian thing. I think that's more just like Yeah, a no, totally. being like I don't know if you're 14, like I just don't know if this should be ringing in your ears. Yeah. Like you we already know you don't fucking care. You're a teenager. <laughs> we probably shouldn't like triple down on yeah. that. It's not yeah. going to help. That's uh, that's funny. That's so good. So, so I'm curious like what other, you know, where else are you going with this book and this research beyond, or like even just continuing this thread of, I guess, authenticity? Um, yeah, I mean, so there's a, I mean, there's a few different things that I'm, I'm thinking about. I mean, like one of my main areas of interest, like in just terms of like philosophy of religion, is like how, how religions, especially Christianity, like come to justify change in in like how they see the world or like in in their moral framework like what becomes okay versus not okay right um and i think that the this music is an interesting kind of um 
test case, if you will, like in in that arena, because uh, you have all these varying tensions. Like you have these aesthetic tensions where like the aggressive sound of the music seems to be like at odds with the ethos of evangelicalism, which is very, which is like a Thomas Kincaid painting. Right. And and the, the Christian punk stuff is like a Jackson Pollock or something like that. Right. Something that's like, you know, offensive to the sensibilities of the kind of main aesthetic of mm -hmm. of the, the institution. Um, and it didn't take that long. Right. It was, I think, less than 10 years before there were CCM bands that were starting to copy the aggression Albeit in a muted way, for sure, um, but starting to copy CCM being contemporary contemporary Christian, Christian music. music. Yeah, that's kind of the yeah. the acronym for the Nashville centered Christian music industry. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and and yeah, so it was like a, a matter of about ten, eight to ten years or so, and you get you start getting uh, you know punk bands being released on. CCM like Goatee Records and other you know major kind of CCM um, labels that are essentially sanctioned by the larger. I mean, honestly, the the Christian music industry is more or less controlled by the Southern Baptist Convention. I mean, there's not like a direct like legal control or anything like that. But the SBC uh, owns Lifeway Christian Stores um, and and like a lot of the like major. Uh, Christian bookstores that, I mean, a lot of them are gone now because of the internet, but at the time, mm -hmm. for about 20 years, they were the gatekeepers. Um, they controlled sort of what got, what was able to be sold in those uh, locations. Um, and so it's, yeah, it's just interesting for them, you know, to sort of come around to a way of justifying, uh, you know, a particular aesthetic that they might find displeasing to their ears, but they figure out some way of justifying, you know, having it in the store. I mean, I think that a lot of that justification is money, right? Tooth yeah. and Nail was hugely successful. People were looking at festivals like Cornerstone and other, yeah. you know, other things across the country that had like tens of thousands of kids coming to them and they were like, yeah, mm, dollar signs in the eyes, right? They, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. um, so I do think that that was a large part of it. And they may have said like, oh, well, this is, you know, this is a good avenue into, you know, um, winning, winning souls for Jesus. But the thing is, is that it really wasn't that big. I mean, that wasn't a huge concern for most of the bands. Um, and lyrically, like the Christian message in a lot of these uh, on a lot of these albums was thin at best, right? Mm -hmm. And sometimes virtually non-existent. Um, totally. And <laughs> what's interesting is that the way that um, the way that Tooth and Nail, like Tooth and Nail, had to work hard to get their their catalog sold in these stores. Um, Brandon Ebel sure. was constantly going out to Nashville, taking meetings with executives to get sold and stuff. in these christian stores in the christian stores yeah they had to convince you know whoever was making these decisions that their catalog was appropriate but their stuff was being sold at borders and best buy and i mean they were like not at first legit... not at first not at first yeah okay, in, yeah, in yeah. the early days i mean about eight years in or so yeah they they were but at first you know it was um they needed the christian 
stores to carry them. Right. And and actually, I mean, for sure, one of the uh, John Dunn, who's uh, the bass player in the band Demon Hunter, um, who was also the A and R an A and R director at Tooth and Nail from like 2003 to 2013, um, he <laughs> he told me that what they would do is they would like if they were, they had to send lyric sheets to these bookstore executives um, for them to, for someone to like vet the lyric to make sure they are appropriate to be sold in the store. Um, yeah. And sometimes because the lyrics for, for like an Anne Berlin record or something are like so abstract, they had to also provide like an explanation sometimes like with the lyrics. And so they'd be like, I mean, this wasn't something he said that really happened, but he was like, this is something that a, things would happen like this al along the lines of this. They'd go to Stephen Christian, the front man of Amberlynn, and say, hey, what is this song about? And be like, oh, it's about like a high school girlfriend that I had. And they'd say, Not well, anymore. can you, do you think it could be about Jesus? And he'd be like, ah, sure. Yeah, we can figure out some way to explain how this song that's really a love song is about Jesus. <laughs> that kind of yeah. thing would happen all the time. Aaron Sprinkle told me that he used to like, there were some bands he worked with where they would they would spend hours talking about the lyrics, trying to figure out how to frame them so that they could like include the explanation in this package that would go to so, the bookstore. Not even not even rewriting the lyrics, but just finding possible Sometimes rewriting them. Sometimes okay. actually rewriting them. Yeah, that that actually did happen. They they sometimes okay. would rewrite them, and in some cases they had to, uh, you know, certain words would be taken out. I mean, one of the like more infamous cases is again a boy brush red living in black and white. There's that one line where you know that Aaron Gillespie is going is supposed to say the word whore to make it rhyme with mm -hmm. I think door or something like that, and he doesn't say it, and that's because the label said you can't say that. And to mm. be honest, it's good that he didn't say it because yeah. <laughs> yeah. the context of the song, like regardless of the Christian concern. Yeah, we um, didn't need that. Yeah. Yeah. But, but, and I'm sure he didn't understand the weight of that at no. that point. Oh, no. He was a kid. He yeah. was a child. They were yeah. children. Sure. Yeah. They're yeah. like 19, 20. Right. Exactly. It's funny. There's like, there's that classic uh, South Park episode where they form a Christian band and they yeah. just, uh, they take classic songs and they just replace every baby yeah, classic with Jesus. Classic love songs. Which yeah. Is, yeah. 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 <laughs> and they take all those like Creed promo photos and stuff. It's, right. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's one, one aspect is like kind of thinking about like how this, this confluence of punk culture and aesthetics sort of came together with evangelical Christianity because on the surface, and I mean, a lot of, you know, a lot of people, when I mentioned that I'm writing this book, they're like, there's Christian punk. Like what the hell? Like that, that makes yeah, no man. sense. Um, and so part of it is explaining that. Um, uh, and I think another part of it is just kind of looking at how, I mean, kind of along the same lines, but looking at how Christianity is able to, just appropriate whatever it wants for its own purposes. Um, I mean, this this action of uh, you know looking at something that it seems so antithetical to Christianity and then uh, redeeming it right for Jesus is, I mean, that is colonialism, right? I mean, I'm not mm -hmm. saying that you know Christians redeeming punk is as is as bad as 
like co colonialism and, and right, right, right. missions and stuff like that. Um, but it's it's in the same it's from the same logic, right? That yeah. whatever is bad about yeah. culture, whatever seems anti-Christian, can be transformed, can be redeemed by Jesus in some way. Um, mm. And and I think that also ties into the um, the political quietism as well, because there's like this inability to recognize the damage that that actually does right there's like it's it's like an it's like a, a logical contradiction or something like that like if you're redeeming it for jesus for the kingdom how could it possibly be bad like we can't put a stop to that because then you're not advancing the kingdom or something like that when in reality right. like Colonialism is like one of the worst things to ever befall the globe in human history. I mean, it's mm -hmm. so utterly destructive. We're still feeling, feeling the fact, not we, but other countries obviously are still yeah. feeling the effects of it today. You oh know. man. I mean, just looking at like, you know, as a, as an American, I have, you know, uh, a loose understanding of like the Commonwealth and what that is. And yeah. even just in that recent Meghan Merkel yeah. interview with Oprah, I was like, okay, I sort of know what this is, but like how many countries are part of the Commonwealth? And I looked it up and I was like, what the fuck? Like, are <laughs> yeah. you kidding me? Yeah. yeah. Like one quarter of Africa? What the fuck is this? It's insane. Yep. It's yep. insane. It's yep. yeah. It's madness. Yeah, it really is. It's, it's, yeah. it's wild. Um, and I, I think that, you know, so, so yeah, so that's, that's a, another big part of it is just kind of like thinking about the logic of Christianity and sort of how Christianity engages culture, like through the lens of this particular music scene. Um, and I, I still, when I was first kind of like outlining the book, I really kind of wanted to focus on the fact that this music scene, that the sort of first 20 years of it overlap the transition from a pre 9-11 to a post 9-11 world um and i i do think that there is something there um in terms of like people that are roughly our age right um in their you know early to late 30s or late 20s to late 30s or something like that um i, I do think that there is something to be said about how we were sort of formed politically having been uh, essentially, um, you know, well, not, not everyone was a teenager or nine 11, but like between the ages of like nine, nine and 19, uh, roughly like when nine 11 happened, yeah. um, you know, I, I do think that there is, um, that there's something there. Uh, but that's, that's a part of the book that I haven't sort of fully thought out yet. Um, but, but that's yeah. something that I'm thinking about too. Do you ever go to any Cornerstone uh, music festivals, Joel? Dude, no. Oh, man, I wanted to so bad. I, there was a band uh, in the our local scene in Pasadena called the Caffeines that were like this okay. hardcore Christian punk band. Um, they they fucking rule. You can, you can listen to them. I, I highly recommend everyone listen to Fission, Fusion, and Things Made of Concrete, their full-length album on uh, Spotify. Right. It's on Spotify. It's fucking rips it's so good um but they they drove to cornerstone one year um they're yeah. they're like a few years older than me uh and i remember hearing from them at a show 
like they're a guitarist or something, that they drove to Cor Cornerstone in a van. They were not scheduled to play. They just hopped up on a stage, like, between sets or something. Dude. It threw all their shit together and, like, just played a crazy set. And then, like, drove home and tried to, like, string a tour together yeah, on dude. the way home. Um, and I, man, hearing that story, I was like, these guys are legends. I want to do that so bad. And never happened for me. And then I, when I moved to Chicago in 2012, um, my wife and I were like, oh, shit. We can go to Cornerstone now. Yes. And 2012 was the last summer that they did it. And oh. we had, we moved there in September of yeah. 2012. So we missed yeah, it man. by like a I, month. I knew Damn. some bands that would drive out there from, from like Southern California. I grew up in Corona. So oh, really? I knew I didn't this know band, that. The Havoc. They kind of, yeah, The Havoc yeah. kind of did the same thing. And like, do you remember, you and I are pretty close in age, I think. Okay. I'm, gonna be 36 this summer okay yeah i just uh, i turned 38 in do you December, remember yeah. okay do you remember face down records oh yeah did you do oh, yeah. any face down yeah no i okay. you know I, I i do know face down records um that was uh that was sort of outside of the scene that i was in because i wasn't as much into the metal metalcore hardcore that kind of like um yeah heavy heavy stuff that face yeah they only out. had like a couple punk rock bands right, on their yeah. label like they had the they had the deal so i would mm -hmm. i would go see this band called the deal a lot okay. who was with them and like yeah do you ever go to the, the do you ever go to the showcase the theater and officer negative oh officer negative yeah, yeah. Dude, the showcase legendary man. legendary that, yeah that place i saw that my first punk coolest. show yeah that's where fucking... i saw my first punk show was the showcase fucking dirty I saw ass so punk many amazing venue. shows yeah. at showcase dude i even played yeah. i was uh, in a that band place is like the... yeah no go ahead yeah go ahead oh, okay you're good <laughs> oh no i was gonna say i i i was in a band that played uh, a battle of the bands there once that was you know was yeah, super man. crazy yeah i saw assorted a jelly beans which is like a you know kind of uh san bernardino yep. county punk band and uh and yeah, fucking dude. river phoenix who then became phoenix tx later which was like drive through records first like kind of breakthrough big yeah. pop punk band um yeah man that shit blew my mind it's crazy <laughs> seeing the pit for the first yeah, time dude, i think i was 15 yeah yeah it's crazy <laughs> Yeah, I grew up kind of like going to that place. I saw cool. my first show, like first battle of the bands when I was eight. We had a friend oh, playing and like, and then would go to that place so many weekends in high school Wild. and yeah. just go see all these, like so many insane bands at that, at that place. Yeah. Like, oh, they, yeah, just, they had that was like that. It was such a central part of the circuit. Like it was oh, huge, totally like they would get you know, the addicts would come yes, play like yes. three nights mm -hmm. and then like between the buried and me would play yeah. like two nights. And, no, that was like, that was like, like the biggest huge bands. Yeah. That was for sure. The biggest, like legit, like, like punk venue, like real punk, like hardcore from like the eighties yeah. punk, uh, venue in Southern California. Like, because the chain reaction yeah. didn't get those kinds of bands coming through. Like, it was. It really was just the showcase. Yeah, chain was a different thing. Yeah, it was different. Yeah. yeah, I worked at the pizza place next door, so I got in free like most of the time that I wanted to go, which was also <laughs> That's rad. Like really rad. Yeah. But they recently put a documentary out, but they haven't digitized it. Oh, so they, really? They did a screening. Okay. Yeah, because they like, yeah, the city kind of like fucked that up and pushed that out of Corona and like 
they no they way. claimed that they were like repurposing Main Street and made that the first to go, and then it sat oh there God. for like it's still sitting there. I'm pretty sure it's just like uh. an empty building but uh there's supposed to be a cool documentary so i hope they digitize it soon yeah um, for sure sorry andrew that was just for your brother and i know <laughs> that's fine i'm here for uh, it but that was i mean that was the place that i would like see all those face down bands too yeah like mm-hmm. and and that was uh it was an interesting thing to like i don't know know that like some people were just kind of there for the music and some people like really heavily connected to the the message behind it. I think I was maybe probably somewhere in the middle. I didn't like really yeah. care too much about the Christian nature of things. I just right. like circle pits and punk rock. Yeah, and, for sure. Like everybody yeah. seemed cool. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I like have kind of discovered in, in interviewing people for this book that I don't think I really realized before was that how many people like only listen to these Christian bands and like, don't really know any of the, so-called secular bands that were really in the same scene touring with these Christian bands too. Um, But like there are, I would say the majority of like the, the really kind of big fans of tooth and nail and solid state and stuff are just like not interested in the so-called secular scene really. What's interesting about that too, is that like, who the fuck do you think that the kids from Under Oath were listening to to yeah. influence their music? <laughs> right. Like, who yeah. was thrice listening to? These bands weren't listening. They're, they were part of that, like, early part of that scene. So there wasn't other Christian right. yeah. punk hardcore mu- music for to, yeah. to influence them. So they were influenced by secular bands. Like, yeah, you're talking about, you know, MXPX and Green Day and stuff. And it's just, yeah, it's interesting that people wouldn't be concerned with, like, the other musical influences of these, you know, Christian bands that they like so much. Right. And, but even like later on, like, I mean, I just, I don't know. I guess it was just like the group of friends that I was in, but like the youth group, right. That I attended at Sierra Madre congregational, like I didn't know anybody who only listened to the Christian music. Like all of us who were into the the punk scene, we listened to all of it. We went to see all of the bands. We, you know, we yeah. talked about all of the bands. We didn't really make a distinction between, um, you know, uh, like the Juliana Theory and I don't know, some other, you know, some other band similar to them, Promise Ring or something like that. Like they were just mm-hmm. emo bands that we were into like, yeah. and just as excited yeah. to see like any of them play. For sure. Yeah. Uh, what do you think are, if any, you know, what do you think are the sort of like after effects or, you know, um, I guess ripples of this, the, this seed that was planted in you and sort of growing up with some of these bands that you're now researching? Like, do you have, have you had any sort of like interesting introspective um I don't know, I guess like epiphanies related to any of this. I mean, it's, it's definitely gotten me to question my own sense of like authenticity. Um, Mm -hmm. because that is something that I also sort of really prided myself on kind of growing up. Like, um, you know, I never, ever, ever identified with the kids who were like, um, well, the Bible says that blah, blah, blah. And like, we're just to me, so, uh, controlled by like their parents and the pastor. And like, they, they 
it felt like they could not break out of that. And to me, I looked mm -hmm. at that and was like, Ugh, no, I have no desire to be part of that. Like I, you know, I, I still wanted to be a Christian. Like I didn't see Christianity itself as confining in that way. Um, but I just thought like, you know, there, there has to be a different way to think about this. Like the, the way that, uh, these other people that I really don't get and they don't seem to get me either. Uh, the way that they think about Christianity is just like wild and wrong to me. And, you know, and so I really kind of, and I do think that the music scene played a, a part in that, right? The, my ability to um, be, feel like I was still in some, even if it was only in like kind of a superficial way, like connected to Christianity because I was, interested in this kind of music um uh you know yeah so I, I do think that that played uh a role um and but i yeah i feel like it's you know reflecting on this as much as i have this last year has kind of led to a little bit of a reckoning with myself like where um i'm realizing i've come to realize that like yeah this you know this music wasn't as like radical or groundbreaking like not just aesthetically obviously it wasn't like it rode the coattails of <laughs> of other sure. secular music for sure um but just mm -hmm. in terms of like this idea that like oh no these christian artists are like they're really the real authentic people because they don't care what other people think about them you know singing about their faith and you know they don't care about uh, you know, the church people thinking that screaming sounds evil or something like that. They're just, they're doing it. Um, you know, I, I feel like I'm, I'm coming, I've sort of come to think that like that, that can so easily become a cover for, for inaction, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, especially for a white man. Um, and you, do become, you mean you that can, in the sense that it's like, because I'm showing up authentically, like what else would be required of me? Right. Exactly. Yes, exactly. That's exactly right. That like yeah. it, it, it turns into, I mean, another kind of, I think good, um, <laughs> good, like kind of comparison, uh, you know, for this is like, uh, a kind of like Christian introspective mysticism almost, um, something that like, uh, Russian authors like Tolstoy and Dostoevsky mm -hmm. wrote about a lot like this kind of like I'm gonna just feel inside myself and get connected with like my true self and through that I'm gonna somehow transcend I, I don't know like whatever the the result is but it it becomes in, entirely turned inward right and it becomes completely about this focus on yourself and just as a white person, like over the last five or six years, I've come to the conclusion that like, I cannot do that. That right. cannot be the end of whatever my spiritual practice is going to be. I don't have much of a spiritual practice these days. Um, but like, it can't, it can't be that it, it does. It has to, you know, it, my energy has to be aimed at, you know, destroying white supremacy like i i really do think that that's um you know that's the greatest threat that's the most important thing um and i think yeah. that i think that it's the um 
I, I think it should be the most important thing to Christians too, right? And so in a way, this this music kind of got in the way of that to a certain extent, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. I do see, I mean, uh, in a way, what you're talking about is a form of like spiritual bypassing, right? Mm-hmm. Where you're so focused on your your inward spiritual journey that you forget that like doesn't mean a whole lot if it doesn't result in some kind of net effect on the world around you um which right. requires action like direct action mm-hmm. uh and you know taking a stand against systems of repression and things like that yeah which is something that goes back i feel like um i get the sense sometimes from the christian community or even just like friends that i have in general that this idea of like fighting oppression is like this really new thing that it's like oh i'm confused by what does that even mean and it's like dude this is as old as the fucking as any story that's ever existed like yeah humans have been fighting systems of oppression since the dawn since you know civilizations began since power was invented right. over another person was invented so well and i think um, that i think that all you all you need to do is like have one friend who isn't white right? one friend yeah. who's like uh, a native american or you know african-american or something who can tell you, right, that their entire life has essentially been structured by um, oppression and resisting oppression, mm-hmm. that there's no mm-hmm. way for them to think outside of that, right? And and I think that, you know, once I kind of shifted my view toward that fact, um, that for me made it a lot easier to not get like sort of hung up on like, oh, everything's oppression. Oh, oh, no. No, that makes me feel sad. You know? It's too <laughs> hard. Yeah. Wow. Oh, there's so much oppression out here. Oh, how can I fight it all? And, like, you know, my black friends are like, uh, yeah, you fucking idiot. <laughs> like, yeah. you know? Like, yes, this is this is my life every day. And I can't just, you know, say, oh, it's too hard. <laughs> you right, know? right, 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 right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more with that. Yeah. And I mean, the reality too is it's like, and you can't fight it all. Like, yes, you gotta, right. you know, we talked about this last time. It's like, you gotta tend to the area of guard of the garden that like you have access to. Mm-hmm. Right. You got, right. you just got to do something though. You got to do yeah. what you can. If everybody were to tend to their corner of the garden, then we would have a flourishing right. garden. The problem is that like, we only have small subsets of people that are doing that. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I, I mean, for me, uh, it's, it's really come down to like the way that I teach, right. Just to remind mm-hmm. everybody, I'm a college professor. <laughs> I teach at a community college in Virginia religion courses. Um, but I try to structure all of my courses around some kind of like anti-racism, um, in some way. So we talk a lot about whiteness and colonialism in, in every class that I teach. And I, you know, I try to try to show the students that this is not like a special topic or a special theme that like, I'm sort of choosing to put the course through, but but this is really endemic to the very idea of religion. Yeah, <laughs> right? central. You, that you have to understand this in order to understand like how religion operates in the world, right? And some students get that and some don't, but I feel like um, that's, for me, that's one sort of tangible way that I can, you know, try to forge ahead and make some progress, you know, mm-hmm. with that. Mm-hmm. Right on. Amen. <laughs> So when are we going to see this book? When's it? Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, well, uh, you know, 
I'm still writing it. <laughs> uh, I think the interview, the, I haven't done an interview for uh, about a month, couple months. Um, there's still a, a handful of people that uh, that I, I'm trying to pin down for, for an interview who are being a little bit elusive. Um, oh, and, yeah, we know that game. But, <laughs> but uh, I think that once, yeah, so, so once I get at least one solid chapter written, then I'm going to, you know, see who might be interested in, in publishing it. I, I'm trying to go with an academic publisher, but that's, um, <laughs> that's much, uh, it, there's many more hoops to jump through. And so, yeah. uh, so we'll see, we'll see what happens. But, um, I mean, you know, uh, I would say it's at least a year off. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. Well, you know, you can always publish through the Bible Buds Network. Um, <laughs> we're, we're starting our own thing. So if yeah. you want to be yeah. the first one, okay. then... Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Mm. We're gonna we're gonna be a full worldwide media conglomerate. We're doing movies. We're doing albums. We're doing books, documentaries, music videos um, on both. Yeah, spoken spoken poetry albums. Um, I think we're gonna have some interpretive dance festivals. It's just gonna be like yeah, it's gonna be all of it. Yeah. So excited! Yeah, this is the first time I'm pitching it to Dan, but I can tell that he's on board. So that's yeah, great. Yeah, looks okay. like it. He's been, he was nodding the whole time. So. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's cool. That's cool, though. Like the idea for all of this and examining it in this way, I think is really cool, man. Thanks. And especially, also, obviously, it combines like your passion with with music and yeah. academia and yeah, getting to do that research and having the opportunity to talk to some people that probably had a pretty big impact on you at oh one point, for sure you know? yeah um yeah that has been that has been crazy is getting in contact with some of these people uh and and just like getting to tell them <laughs> you know before we start this interview i just have to tell you like how important you know your music is to me or the records that you produced or you know yeah. whatever you know yeah so. <laughs> That has been Absolutely. cool. That's rad. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thanks for doing this again. Yeah. This was yeah, guys. Super fun. Like, yeah, totally. this is so rad to get to like hear some insight into all of this because for sure. Yeah, I think. Uh, I think I never like connected it so heavy to like the lyrical content all the time. <laughs> I was yeah. Maybe most people don't. I don't yeah, think. <laughs> I don't know. You're most people, Dan. Congrats. I was. I was, and I wasn't. You know, I don't yeah. think I was. I wasn't reading into it. I guess. Yeah. yeah you know, yeah. I wouldn't. I definitely don't have the same set of ears or mind at this point. You know, I would. I would be listening to the lyrics a little bit differently. But sure. That that scene was definitely huge for me. You know. Yeah. Like I saw Under Oath last year. On yeah. a reunion tour. Yeah. Uh, like, I'm st yeah. <laughs> still listening to that shit. Mm -hmm. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, for those listening, if you're looking for new music, new bands to check out, uh, yeah. then follow Joel's dope vinyl account. Um, you know, you see some cool vinyl, but you're also going to be exposed to some cool stuff. So we'll put that in the episode notes. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, you know, we're all waiting on pins and needles for the book. So get after it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'll get on that right away. Cool. Joel, do you have any like Spotify playlists that we can maybe link in there as well? Are you uh, building yeah, any of those I'm, yet? I am. I'm, I'm building a 2021 playlist, kind of some, cool. uh, some highlights that I've, uh, is kind of constantly in flux as I'm like listening to it, 
you know, driving, driving my daughter to preschool and yeah, stuff. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, uh, but yeah, there's like 50 or so tracks on there already, um, which yeah. is, which is good. So yeah, Send I'm, that I'm link. excited. Yeah, Send that for link. Sure. We'll put that in the episode notes as well. Yeah. Dope. Awesome, man. Cool. Right on. So I'll say hi to Willa for me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Can't wait until, you know, I can see her again. I can't believe it's been so long. I know, man. But hopefully soon. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, and say hi to Melissa too, of course. Yes, yeah, we'll do. Um, but an extra hug to Willa. And yeah, thanks again for joining us. Yeah, dude. For sure. Or do we end by saying bless up anymore or sure yeah. every time Absolutely. every time man. why don't you why don't you give us the send off so yeah dan will dan will cue you with his goofy his goofy thing and then you give <laughs> the, us a solid smoke pray love yeah and then you give us a solid bless up and we'll we'll wrap this thing yeah we gotta wrap episode 50 up properly a smoke pray love and uh a bless up from from joel harrison bless up <laughs> yeah. thanks man that was awesome <laughs> all right guys Take it easy, man. Yeah, see ya.